Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners, the newspaper review show that has comedians sleuth out the best stories from tomorrow's rags. I'm Dominic Frisby. My news hounds tonight are Poodle, Leo Curse and Chihuahua, Dana Alexander. Welcome to you both. Um, are you happy with your Poodle comparison, Leo? Yeah, I mean, as long as you're picking up my poo in a little bag. I would always do that for you, in the, in, if, if only for public health. And Dana, do you, are you happy with your chihuahua? Well, if I can fit in a handbag, that would be a miracle, so it, why not? It's the one dog that you can fit in a, in a handbag. Very good, good, nice, pithy opening sentences, folks. That's what we like. Right, next up we have the headlines. Let's go to them. And we start with the Daily Mail, which has... Um, no Mr Speaker. With an overreach that startled MPs, the common speaker summoned the mail on Sunday's editor to appear before him over its Angela Rayner basic instinct report, to which, in the name of a free press, the mail respectfully replies, no Mr Speaker. The mail bigging itself up there. Onto the Telegraph, Sunak faces cabinet pressure to cut tax. You can add pressure from me to that call, and <laughs> trust calls for increase in defence spending. You saw that speech there just now in the news. The Independent is next. Westwood accused of groping women. That is the uh, hip-hop DJ, otherwise known as the biggest prat in hip-hop. Uh, uh, a nasty story, which we'll be covering in just a sec. And cabinet clash over plans to ease cost of living. Uh, onto The Guardian, there's Tim Westwood again. DJ Westwood accused of sexual misconduct by multiple women and health agency to halt COVID tests and cut jobs. The FT next. Tesla dented as investors count on Musk share sale to pay for Twitter. I'm not quite sure I agree with that narrative. Pretty much every share has been dented over the past three days. And there's also cabinet split over cutting food tariffs after grocery bills climb 5.9% in a year. Why not just write 6%? It would make the headline more readable. The Mirror, addicted to giving. This is the big-hearted lotto winner. Good for her. Gran, who has given away half her fortune, hands out another 11 million to help strangers. I must send her uh, my email address. Right, the Times now. Russia threatens strikes against Western targets. This is a, a worrying development. And suitcases stuffed full of COVID loan cash seized at UK border. Perhaps we can spend some of that money to ease the cost of living crisis. The Express, you're paying record 718 billion in tax, but for what? Yes, indeed. And finally, the star, the Daily Star. <laughs> I'm laughing in anticipation. Well, he's a barrel of laughs, ain't he? Putin's poodle says Russia is at war with NATO and warns it could end in nuke disaster. Yes, indeed, that's a story we'll be looking at shortly. And those are the headlines. <laughs> 
And let's kick off with that straight away. And Dana, the male and the Russian Minister of Foreign Affairs is now talking about nuclear war, a worrying development. Do we need to worry? Uh, it's always been a worrying de development. I don't know why anybody wasn't worried right from the start. Ukraine is in a real situation. So Russia's top diplomat has warned that NATO is now fighting a proxy war, duh, with Russia in Ukraine. And there is a very serious risk that the conflict could turn nuclear. I guess the real question is, what does Russia have to lose? Do you know what I mean? I do think that Putin has calculated a lot of this, not always correctly, but there's always been a threat. That's the uh, danger of um, standing up and Ukraine's armies being too successful. I was actually, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but I was actually in Czech Republic over the weekend. And one of the reasons that Prague is so intact and such a beautiful city is firstly that Hitler went to university there when the Germans, before the Germans invaded, and it ordered the Germans not to bomb Prague. And then when the Russians invaded after World War II or took it, there was a deliberate policy to let them win because they decided they couldn't win and thus did the city stay intact? Yeah, but the thing is, uh, Western liberal democracy, which is what's really at war with Russia and with Putin, uh, can win. And it's looking like it will win. We yeah. saw, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the, the sinking of, uh, of Russia's flagship battleship in the Black Sea, the Moskva. And uh, of course, Turkey's not letting further battleships into the into the Black Sea. So that's that's a big, big one. And nuclear weapons, I mean, they might possibly use uh, battlefield tactical nukes. They're not going to nuke London. They're not going to nuke their kids' schools. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about that too much. This just shows how weak and desperate Putin and his cronies are, that they're willing to, you know, rattle the sabre about nuclear weapons again. Honestly, if they fire nuclear weapons, if the, if the nuclear weapons are maintained by the same people who maintain their tanks and their like battleship defence systems. I think the, the 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 weapons will probably land they won't just even outside make it. Moscow. Yeah, they won't even yeah. Make it to Poland. <laughs> no. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they'll make it across the channel. So well, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about uh, about nuclear war. Well, that wasn't poodle talk. That was rot violent talk <laughs> there from Leo Curse. Right, the mirror now and. Uh, Dana, Russia has cut off gas supplies to Poland. Yes, Russia suspends gas supplies to Poland amid, amid ongoing crisis, Polish media reports. So supplies of Russian gas to Poland have been stopped days after Putin threatened to turn off the taps to hostile nations if not paid in rubles, according to local medias. Uh, apparently, though, our where the warehouses are 76% full and the government has told Polish citizens that there is no need to worry and that there won't be a shortage of gas in Polish homes, but you have to wonder if this is just a tactic to stop people panic buying. I guess so. I mean, Austria's in trouble if it's not, if Austria doesn't pay I, up. I don't rubles. think you can panic buy gas unless you've got loads of balloons. <laughs> so you can't like fill the bath. But I mean, the the thing that's uh, the thing that's happening is Germany is still is still paying like nearly a billion dollars a day to Russia for oil and gas. So for all the, you know, people donate, you know, uh, give weapons or whatever to Ukraine, Germany's still funding. Peter, I, I wonder, I'm wondering if Germany's ever going to be on the right side in a war. That's what I'm wondering right now. Um, it must have been at some stage in, like, the Holy Roman Empire before it was oh, German. The Visigoths. The Visig yeah, the, Vis <laughs> the Visigoths were well, right. I guess the real question is, what do they do if they don't have oil? You know what I mean? It shuts down everything. So what you, there has to be another way for them to source that before they cut it off. Yeah, well, it gasped Norway. We I can, guess. and we can get it from we can get it from countries with uh, far better human rights records, such as Saudi Arabia, Qatar. If they want, if they are Venezuela, <laughs> if they want to sell, and it seems like they don't. Yeah, I think we should just go back to the old days. In Scotland, we'll burn peat. We used to burn peat. He's not a guy. We used to like cut the grass 
uh, like literally the turf under the grass, we'd, we'd burn that on fires. And that worked. And whatever we used in, you know, tallow. We'll go back to using tallow in Canada. I don't think tallow kept you warm, though. Yeah. Tallow was to see. You got enough of it. Instead of electricity. Fill the bath. <laughs> Stockpile your tallow. Right, The Guardian next and uh, sexual misconduct allegations against uh, the biggest prat in hip-hop. Uh... Yeah, so Tim will fix it. So the, the renowned uh, DJ, BBC DJ Tim Westwood has been accused of sexual misconduct by multiple women who claim he misused his position to take advantage of them. So, uh, I mean, yeah, BBC DJ uh, accused of uh, sexual assault and harassment. I mean, it's surely a one-off. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> the women, they were in their late teens or early 20s when the, the incidents happened. Uh, they described their experiences to The Guardian and BBC News as part of a joint uh, investigation. Um, and, they, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be quicker at this point to, to make a list of BBC DJs who, who haven't uh, been accused of sexual assault. Um, but, yeah, there's some, some shocking accounts of, uh, of these women who, you know, were young, they're in their teens and stuff, and, uh, and Tim West would... Uh, I mean, yeah. I I mean, are you familiar? Are you even familiar? Sorry, go on. Well, just, you know, this is, these are obviously allegations, so we can't, you know, we can't say for sure. There are a lot of them, though. Yeah. Well, um, it seems like Me Too is here forever. <laughs> Let's you, be honest about are that. Are you familiar with Tim Westwood or just I sort quickly of had a, I quickly had a YouTube search on him, yes, and uh, whatever with that guy. I don't know what to say. What I thought, thought was really funny is that the BBC has strict codes of conduct. Just ask Sir Jimmy Savile, right? So another one bites the muff, what can we say? And also, by no means the first predatory male in the world of hip-hop. It's not just BBC, he's kind of got the double. But, uh, you know, his dad's a vicar. Yeah, yeah, so not but... the first predator <laughs> in the family, then. <laughs> all in all, uh, the, the gene stock isn't great, right? The Guardian <laughs> next, and uh, a conflicted Guardian. On the one hand, it wants to gloss over the, the uh, grooming gangs, but on the other hand, it wants to kick the Tories, and it looks like in this article, kicking the Tories takes precedence in what is a, a pretty embarrassing situation for them, Leo. Yeah, so the, the Tories, I mean, we, we gen, generally uh, associate grooming gangs and sexual exploitation with the Labour Party, obviously, because they, uh, the Labour establishment uh, allowed uh, Rotherham and, and Rochdale and grooming gangs and other, and other towns to, to continue for decades uh, for the sake of diversity. But in this case, it's actually a Tory politician. So Imran Ahmad Khan, uh, who is Conservative MP for Wakefield, um, he was actually put on an expert panel offering advice on grooming gangs, um, but he was found guilty of uh, molesting, molesting a teenage boy. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems, you know... I think it was last week or even a fortnight ago he was found guilty, and then this... And he hasn't stood down. He hasn't and, stood down yet, and then this latest embarrassing situation. Yeah, yeah. Although I suppose, I mean, if you're going to put who, somebody who, on a panel about uh, child sex, sexual exploitation, he's going to know a lot about it, <laughs> considering he's been found guilty of it. Yeah, who guards the guards, as the uh, Romans once said. Mm. Exactly. The problem with internal investigations oftentimes... Oh, uh, yeah, it just shows another one, you know? What can we say? I mean, they're going to be going for through this for longer than they look for a Maddie McCann's killer. Right, a P&O ferry has lost power in the Irish Sea, reports the Times. Is it sabotage, Dana? I don't know if it's sabotage more than it's unskilled labour. So basically, the uh, ferry European Causeway escorted, was escorted to a port after losing power in the Irish Sea. So agency workers, some of whom which are making as low as £5.50 per hour to replace, of course, the 800 staff members that were laid off. Say they, they actually have been saying that they no longer want to work 
on this ship because of incidents like this. But if we go through, we actually find out the list of offenses uh, that P&O Ferries has now caused is as long as your arm, and the government has to step in to protect ferries, uh, ferry safety and jobs. So, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the Transport Secretary, the General Secretary of the RMT Union saying that. So he, is, he has an agenda. Um, but uh, also a, a pretty warranted agenda. He's got, yeah, he's got an agenda and he's got a point. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, I, 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 I did get, say a warranted <laughs> agenda. Aren't they getting, like, I heard they were training, uh, like, macaque monkeys to operate, uh, to drive the ships <laughs> and paying them in, uh, in, like, peanuts. So, no, I mean, on a, they're, they're seriously undercutting. They're getting staff in from overseas who won't be familiar with the, the ships and won't be familiar with the... Uh, you know the safety regulations and the you know the UK and Irish specific regulations. So I mean we're lucky this just lost power and went adrift. I think the next P&O disaster could be a ship at the bottom of the sea with lots of dead people because it's happened before. We've had ferry disasters before. Everybody seems to have forgotten. Zeebrugger. The Zeebrugger, yeah, terrible tragedy. These are big metal things with lots of holes in them. They can sink quite easily. We haven't had an incident like this the whole time it was under the control of people familiar with the ship. It is clear this is down to inexperienced crew. That's, that's our man from the RMT saying mm. that. Um, right, we move on, we move on, and we move on to the Independent and uh, Angela Rayner and the uh, Labour Party seem to be finding a bit more clarity as to what a woman actually is, Dana. Yes, what a funny story. Angela Rayner, basic instinct slur was not only sexist, but classist. Labour deputy leader has told Lorraine Kelly that she was really down at having to warn her children about the article that has come up. So, of course, she, I guess she was sat in a skirt and she had crossed and uncrossed her legs, like I've been doing all broadcast. You know, to be Why honest, so I might distracted. not even have trousers on, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lucky us. But, I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I think what's even... More egregious is that the MP who said this to the reporter hasn't been named. Well, well I don't think a... we should name journalistic sources. I think you know a key pillar of the fourth estate is uh, is not having sources revealed. Um, and you know, I, I think uh, the, you know the journalist has, has, has got a point. It can be very distracting. Um, and Boris, of all people, is going to be most easily distracted by a, a leggy redhead. Uh, sitting across from him. I, I don't know, Angela Rayner, she's complaining about the classism. Man, she never, nobody's having a go at her for being working class. She won't shut up about how working class she is. She's all like, oh, I had to keep calling Bath. And all we had for Christmas was Finder's crispy pancakes. And oh, I had to walk three miles well, to school. And I, I worked down a coal mine from the age of seven. And that's all this. Exactly it's like, all right, true. all right, Northern people, we get it. You're very proud of being working class. But I don't even see you as Northern. To me, you're soft Southerners. You're <laughs> almost as soft as Londoners. Go on, Dana. So, well, what I was going to say is that uh, the I, quote I, from I'm one of the MPs Sorry, was, uh, they know that she can't compete with Boris's Oxford Union debating training, but she has other skills which he lacks. I mean, if you're really going to distract Boris Johnson, I suggest you get a sandwich. Oh, fat shaming him. Yeah. Well, that is, that is that's bad. I'm going to start a hashtag. just looking for a fight today, eh? <laughs> well, really. Well, I, I think fat shaming is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely milking this for everything it's worth, though. And I suppose that's what happens in politics. Right, yeah. we've reached the end of part one. Don't go anywhere. What you have just seen is the beginning in part two. We've got the shambolic passport office, slavery reparations, and Jamila Jamil, whoever she is. See you in part two.
Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Dominic Frisby and with me considering tomorrow's papers are Leo Kurse and Dana Alexander. And we start with the mirror, Leo, and Boris Johnson's threat to privatise the backside of the passport office. I don't think he used the word backside. But... Yeah, he used the word you can't even say because of Ofcom. So uh, Boris Johnson threatened, threatened to privatise the, the, the rear end, the bottom of the passport office if it struggles to clear its backlog. Uh, this has been confirmed by a senior government source. So the, the Prime Minister even put the DVLA and other arm's length. These, these are sort of arm's length bodies that sort of do, you know, per perform uh, vital tasks for the government, but, um, but are, you know, left to get on with it. But they haven't been getting on with it because of lockdown. Everybody's working from home. And so instead of doing any work, they're just sitting at home playing Call of Duty or whatever else, still sucking down that public sector salary, still putting that money into their pension pot and like, cushy pension pot. The DVLA, during lockdown, they took months and months and months and months and months to uh, change my address. And because my address hadn't been changed, I couldn't pay my uh, car tax. It was only 30 quid anyway, because I've got a, a snazzy Audi. And then uh, they, they stole my car and took it to a lockup. And I had to pay to get the car out of lockup. And then I had to pay again in a court, because apparently there's some other, some fine I was supposed to pay. So the, and it was all due to the DVLA's incompetence. So I think that- Did you get the money back? No, no. No, there was so, somebody said I should, you know, I started this legal thing, but it was just boring. Oh, God, all these, that's what they get. You've got to fill in so many forms, you get bored, and you're just like, I'll just pay the money and I'll move on with my life. So, yeah, I really hope, I really hope that uh, they, they nail these people to the wall because they're being too lazy. The passport office, um, I mean, they're not issuing passports quickly enough um, because they know their jobs are safe because they haven't been privatised. And, uh, and then people, millions of people, millions of Brits, are not going to be able to go on holiday because they don't have their passports. In defence of the passport office, this not happens every year. What happens every, every year? Every year before it didn't the summer, happen there's in always lockdown. a. This, well, it didn't happen in lockdown, so don't want a passport, you know. But there's all, every year, at this time, time of yeah, year... Yeah, they're useless they every, every, every year. This isn't a defence. They're, they're consistently useless. OK, well, that's fair enough. Um, I, I, have you had any dealings with our passport office in... in well, when I have to get my right of abode stamped into my passport, and this is well before the lockdown, they tell you right away that it might take as long as seven months or nine months Whoa. for them to return it. So as a result, I've had to use my old one with the stamp. They accept it at the airport because, obviously, they understand people who work internationally can't give their passports up. But what I, you know, the Home Office has been backlogged for many, many years, and some people might think that that is a result of the uh, the hostile environment that Theresa May set. So who knows? And if you want to talk about privatizing, passport office in the Home all... Office are different, though, aren't they? Um, no, but there are all of these things are handled under the Home Office. They're different departments within, yes. But anyways, uh, we saw how the privatizing went with uh, the ferry company. So we also saw how it went with the well, rails. So let's see. Privatization works. Yeah. Not always. It didn't work with the ferries, did it? It works. It works here. Like West... ferries, when was the ferry national? It was three, four stories ago. Yeah, but that wasn't privatised. That was just sold from one company to another. It was still a public company. It wasn't a, it wasn't a national company. I thought that they privatised that. That's why they've gotten rid of all of their employees, no? Yeah, I've, OK, Dana, there are plenty of examples of private companies that have succeeded in business. Sure, but yeah. I'm just giving you an example succeed. of one that hasn't. So we'll see, you know, the rails have been privatised. How did that work out? It worked out better. There's better service, and it's yeah. Uh, it's never they, late. They, it doesn't cost you, you three hundred pounds to go to Manchester. Okay. They, they were never cheap, and they were even worse than they are now. National Railways. Yeah, I and find they didn't even have USB ports. 
<laughs> right, The Guardian next and the law of unintended consequences, Leo, one of the many victims of COVID, the uh, demise of a bus route. I think this is actually yours, Dana. Yeah, so the bus firm has actually been blamed for the working at, from home, for axing uh, a century-old service to Birmingham. So 108-year-old bus service linking Bromsgrove and Birmingham is going to be axed because so many people are working from home now. Uh, transport boss has said so people are going to probably have to work from home because they can't get to work now or they get the train full circle but, and it's interesting other things so it's flexible working patterns as well and also confidence in being around public places so because of lockdown because the government forced us into this lockdown in case like a few old people or fat people got covid like we've, we're forced into this lockdown that we didn't want and now everybody's scared to go into a public place because it's scary. Oh, everything's too noisy. There's too many faces. So I think, you know, this shows this, this shows the sort of negative impact of the lockdown, which uh, nobody ever talks about. Not, not on GB News. <laughs> <laughs> Staying with The Guardian, because uh, Leo is on, we have cheating students, or is it outmoded universities? Which is it, Leo? Well, it's, a, it's both, I think. I think the universities are outmoded and overpaid, and the students are lazy. Uh, and like to cheat. So st students are being incentivised to cheat at university by commercial essay mills offering buy one, get one free deals, loyalty schemes and high street style cashback offers, uh, a conference was told. So it's good to see inflation hasn't hit university cheating. Um, but there's a, there's a growing normalisation of cheating in higher education with the shift to online assessments. You're not seeing the, the kid write the essay in front of you. Uh, and there's a growing availability of uh, artificial intelligence essay writing tools. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we, we all do it. Uh, I'm, I'm not even here. This is actually a hologram being controlled by, uh, by a 16-year-old in, in Taipei. Uh, I, the real Leo Kears is uh, relaxing on a yacht in the Mediterranean right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you can get, if you can, if you can outsource your essay writing to, uh, you know, an, an essay farm in India or, you know, somewhere overseas or use uh, artificial intelligence tools, you, that's that's enough. That's better than writing the essay. That's, you're going to be you're going to be the next Richard Branson. That's capitalism. Um, if you look at the uh, 19th century, there was a whole discussion of this on uh, Twitter that I was reading. And to get a job in the Foreign Service, you had to list out every previous foreign minister, every one of their major achievements. There were huge demands, mental demands, mm. placed on people to get jobs, ordinary public sector jobs. Those standards have long since gone, Dana. I think they have, and I think it's... But you're talking about people, for example, that are in medical school. I mean, there's, that's in my opinion, if somebody's been caught cheating, like in the case with Felicity Huffman, in the United States, you might be facing a little bit of jail time because you might be putting people at, at risk at your job if you aren't trained properly. Uh, in pretty much every profession, you know, if you're not a proper lawyer and you don't know what you're doing and you cheated, but they are threatening students with, with criminal prosecution, but hmm. it won't stop them. Well, yeah, but the people prosecuting them uh, got, their, got their degrees <laughs> through SML, <laughs> so they don't know what they're doing. Whole whole world's going to be fine. <laughs> right. Uh, the, time, the whole world has outsourced everything to somebody else. That's um, exchange. Yeah. Exchange and There's one man in India running everything in the West. <laughs> the Times now, and I'm looking forward to Dana's take on this. The Earl and Countess of Wessex's tour of the Caribbean and slavery reparations. Yeah, so the Wessexes were asked to help win slavery reparations on their latest Caribbean tour. tour. Who but actually asked them? Um, I believe it was Antigua and Barbuda, and yeah, I think there was also mention of it when um, 
Kate and uh, William went to Jamaica, if I'm not mistaken. So the ill-fated tour of the Caribbean by the Earl and Countess, Countess of Wessex continued on a rocky path yesterday when Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda told the government or the couple that it was the country's wish to one day become a republic. One day? Yeah. Mm. So I guess they just don't have the ability to do that right now, but it seems like a lot of uh, Caribbean countries are following this. And I don't think that they're out of order for asking for reparations. As you know, when slavery was sort of sl slaves were emancipated, the owners of slavery or the owners of slaves were actually compensated by the British government to the tune of what would be, I don't know, I think it's like 20 billion. It was 40% of Britain's annual budget at the time. So if you have a problem with the but slaves getting... But should Britain getting get a bonus for ending slavery before anyone else? See, that's should the thing. Like Did Britain people? end slavery? There was... Sorry, yeah. there was way too... Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so, so I guess Jamaicans weren't hiding in the hills and planning slave rebellions and burning down plantations that had nothing to do with the emancipation? Yeah, but well, people we have been the first doing people that before. To make it illegal. And why do you think you made it illegal? Because we got machines. That no, because the situation in the Caribbean was untenable and they were burning everything down and they were outnumbered by slaves about four to one. Is that right? Yes, it is. Go on, Leo, what do you think? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to my uh, Viking reparations from uh, Sweden. Actually, Sweden's got loads of money. They can probably afford to give me like money for, uh, for my ancestors. Japanese who returned got uh, compensated. Three billion marks were paid to Israel by Germany. And the, the Romans. Holocaust. The Romans made my great, 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 great granddad build some very straight roads. He so didn't enjoy that. Do you have problems, you have problems the, uh, with them receiving the, reparations? The first indentured, uh, people in indentured servitude in the Caribbean were, uh, were Scots and Irish. There's still, there's still communities over there. And there's a big there. difference between being an indentured servant than getting Getting caught, sorry, being kidnapped in West Africa and brought and actually deprived of being an actual human being. The thing about it, if you actually look at Caribbean people like myself, we all have Scottish and Irish last names. My last name is Alexander because a lot of these people who were indentured servants were only doing it for seven years and then went on to become slave masters themselves. Well, but also a lot of them returned to Scotland. A lot of them returned to Scotland and then it's had to explain. No, a lot of them returned to Scotland and then had to explain a seven-year gap in their CV and then try and get a job. And the only skills they had were cutting down sugarcane. I think we need to, you know, they're the people who need the reparations the most. There's the Barbary slave trade as well. We need reparations for that. Yep. That's. Um, I think we should send Prince Andrew over to the island next. <laughs> he does well. <laughs> was, in we need reparations for him as well. The whole thing is like. It's so long ago, how do you administer it? Who pays? Who gets the money? Who mm. doesn't get the money? Me. Who's entitled to what? What about all the people who were there before the slave trade began? Once you open the can of worms, you have to uh, make reparations the, for can all is open. of human history. The can well, yeah, is open. Indigenous the Carib can people. is open. I met indigenous Carib people when I was in Dominica. I think it's the last uh, place where you still get them in any sort of, you know, substantial, um, you know, settlement. Um, so yeah, tiny, tiny wee guys. So the Armistar genocide in northern India, they were compensated by the uh, Brits. We see people who are getting reparations right now from the whole Windrush debacle. And who pays? The Brits. And what about the slaves in the world right now? What about the slaves in the Middle East and in Libya and in China? In like, who's, Qatar. 
Well, about dealing with really slavery long, that's happening now. Do you know what? There's a Why really is everybody long, obsessed with no, 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 slavery no, no, that no, happened no, no, hundreds no. of years Why ago? Why is everybody obsessed? Well, I don't know. Maybe because when I go anywhere in the world, I get treated subhuman. We've been in the same hotel, and we've received completely different treatment. I don't get... You don't get harassed by the pool. What are you doing staying here? You don't get stopped by the police just for being in the wrong area. There is an attitude around the world globally that black people are subhuman. It makes it difficult for us in many is that areas. British Air, listen, well, that was in Dubai. difficult for us... Sorry, makes it difficult for us in education. It makes it difficult for us in housing. It makes it difficult for us in healthcare, policing. There is a price that has to be paid, and it but has been paid to what, others. That, it's been paid to talking... Japanese. It's been paid. It's been paid to slave owners. Sorry. Sorry. And global it's also perception been paid of black people Jewish. and reparations for the slave trade are two different. No, it's not, because it's a knock-on effect. I'm sorry. White supremacy still affects us today, and that was sorry. Was the cog. Where's the white got... supremacy in adverts right now? What a way to change the subject when you're losing. How am I losing? What have I lost? I, I, I like how you just like to shoot over people anytime they're oh, I'd, just, I'd like love to be able to talk for like just five seconds. Five oh, seconds or two minutes straight with nobody interrupting you because that never happens. I, would, I didn't interrupt you. Listen, I have to interrupt you. I won't get a word in. Okay. Uh, the Times <laughs> still and the day before contraceptive pill changing the subject yeah. now that uh, the day before contraceptive pills yeah if this if this conversation isn't enough of a contraceptive for people watching there's uh, there's a new uh, drug con uh, combination that can be used as a contraceptive pill uh, before you have sex so uh, women who are given uh, ulipristal acetate Who's, uh, who's the new foreign secretary in Moscow, uh, used as a morning after pill uh, at present and sold under a different brand name, Elaon. Uh, and there's another drug that you take with it called Meloxicam, um, which is a type of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So if you take them both together, it delays ovulation uh, for three days. So you can take it if you're planning, you think, oh, I might just have, I might just have a, a drunken night out and accidentally have sex. Uh, you can take this this pill before you accidentally have sex. So it's a good thing to take when you know you're going to do something you will regret or something. I don't really understand why you've got that. There's the morning after pill from when you've made the mistake, but who plans for a mistake? I don't know, I don't understand this. I think, yeah, what's wrong with the withdrawal method? I was using it for 25 years, worked fine. Now I'm having a baby, but up until then, it worked fine. It didn't work for me. Right, Dana, what, how, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it seems a little bit pointless. I'm a little bit too indecisive to make that much uh, planning efforts. And I'd probably, if I was going down that road, I'd be taking the morning after pill. But condoms work as well, and these won't protect against STDs, will they? I don't me, think me that Dana works agree on that. that. Did everybody see that? Me and Dana agreed. <laughs> That's the first. Not, not a single argument about British history. <laughs> Right, that's the end of part two. Stay with us for part three when the stories get even weirder. In the meantime, here are some ads. Survey the products, the products, buy them, and join us in a moment or two. Welcome back to Headliners. Uh, joining me tonight are Leo Kurse and Dana Alexander. You can cut the atmosphere with a knife, and we start with Jamila 
Jamil, who I had never heard of until this morning when she decided <laughs> to quit Twitter because of the Elon Musk purchase. What do you make of this, Dana? So, yeah, she's decided to quit Twitter because she supposes that Elon Musk, who would like to take, like to add a little bit more free speech to the platform, may engage in hate speech. Elon Musk is... Who Not is that, no, that people might be encouraged to, to uh, engage in hate speech, people who are recently and often blocked from the platform, people like Donald Trump, for instance. Yeah. Or we could say Milo Yiannopoulos, right? He was also... So I think when it comes to free speech, I think we really have to make a differentiation or at least understand that hate speech isn't always included under isn't protected under free speech all the time. But, uh, I mean, there are laws against hate speech. There are laws against incitement. There are laws against defamation. So she says Twitter's going to become this completely lawless place, which is the opposite of what Elon Musk uh, intends, obviously. He wants everybody verified so they won't be able to hide behind anonymity and just pretend they're a really angry egg. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she... Uh, She's she's saying all this stuff. I don't. I'm seeing all this like left wing people leaving Twitter, and I'm just like, oh no, please, oh Jamila, please don't go, please stay, please stay. I mean, who's who's going to call me a Nazi or a heteronormative transphobic racist if all the left wing people leave leave Twitter? I don't know. She'll she'll be Got back. Some, uh, I think she'll be back tomorrow. I've just uh, had some bad news just come in. Philip Schofield apparently is going to leave Twitter as well. He was on Twitter. <laughs> he didn't even know, nor did I, to be honest. Um, but who, I, I, I do want to know, who actually is Jamila Jamil and why is this such a big deal? She's a, an activist and uh, she, oh, uh, she's famous for, um, she, she was cast in an LGBT uh, TV show uh, on Channel 4 and people said, well, why are you casting a straight person in this LGBT Legendary. show? It's called and Legendary. Then, and then she came out and she said, oh, no, wait, I'm queer, which is obviously is a way of saying you're LGBT without actually having to do anything. It's also just, important to note that she produced the show as well. Yeah, so she, she put herself in an LGBT show uh, despite not being... And then she, she's like, oh, no, but I'm queer. Which is, like, people do that. Lots of people do that. They say, I'm queer. But you don't actually have to do anything. You don't have to have any same-sex action. And I think it's a way of, like, stealing those uh, the, the sort of uh, privilege points that proper LGBT people fought and, and were uh, victimised for. Uh, okay. You get on that acronym. That leads us very nicely into the next story, which is another Guardian story in the plight of LGBTQ people in Scotland. LGBTQ plus people in Scotland. Is yeah, like I mean, plus? the full acronym is LGBTQIA... AI plus. Uh, AI plus. plus. And there's loads more after that as well. It, it grows every year. But, yeah, apparently life for LGBT plus people in Scotland is, is worse than it has been for a long time. I don't I've considered... Leaving Scotland, it's, uh, I mean, it's just moved to London. But um, the five yearly report from uh, this uh, campaigning and advo advocacy group um, saw that uh, of the LGBT plus people that they surveyed, 81% um, in 2017 thought Scotland was a good, was a good place. Um, and 65% uh, say that it's bad. Uh, what's interesting is there's been a huge increase in the number of respondents uh, saying they're uh, transgender. So 49% of respondents uh, said they're transgender. So we're, and we're seeing this. In the last few years, years there's just been an explosion. So of, the number's um, on the rise, but the state of life for them is on, or their perceived state of life is going down. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if any high-ranking people in the SNP could uh, could you know make make a step and and, and just come out and uh, live live their true life right at the top. 
Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, Scotland uh, has a very progressive government that's you know doing a lot for for um, or trying to be seen to, to do a lot for LGBT people. So this this really sort of undermines all the stuff that Nicola Sturgeon has uh, has been doing for. What do you uh, make of this, Dana? I think you know in the last few years we were starting to use words like woke in the pejorative, so that anybody who's fighting for LGBT, Black Lives Matter, anybody who wants to save the environment is some kind of a woke demon, and I think that has really contributed to uh, a, a, a community of a lot of intolerance in our community. I'm sorry. Do you know which is uh, the most discriminated against group in society? Is it white people, black people, men, women, Dwarves. gay, straight? Sorry? Dwarves. Mm -hmm. Well, sort of, in a way. Do you know the answer to this? Ugly people. <laughs> I'm serious. There's, they're, they're, do you know this? Been, How do you know this? There's just been a huge, huge study on it by an e American economist okay. by the name of Daniel Hamlet. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that little slight, Dana. And, um, and they get... Um, more, they find it harder to get jobs. When they do get jobs, they get paid less. They're more likely to get the sack. Yeah. As a result of getting the sack, they have a uh, lower standard of living. They're more likely to commit crime. When they do get, commit crimes, they get longer sentences. It's an ongoing thing. And if you think about it, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, whatever thing, it's how good looking you are. Andrew Lloyd Webber's doing all right. But, but you have to also but, remember that beauty standards are often dictated, are cultural, right? So somebody mm -hmm. might say that my black skin is ugly or the type of nose that I have is ugly or my hair. So we have to look at what the beauty standards are in that particular country. Sure, but there's a, it's the, specifically the bottom 20%. Anyway, quite an interesting study, but there's no, because it's a sort of cross sexuality, cross-race, cross-everything thing, there's no campaign groups. But, I, I, th but how, do you do, how do you decide who's ugly? It's basically... Look at there's a, there's a, there's a look way at he defends it, Hammamesh de defines it in the book. It's subjective. It's, called a, it's not it is, subjective. it is subjective, but it isn't. It's one of those things most people... Yeah. If you go, is that guy good-looking, is that um, guy ugly, most people... Tend and there's going to gonna be a scale of ugliness as well. And he, well, he's, he just uses bottom 20%. Okay. So as long as you're out of, out of the bottom of 20%, you're all right. Right. Anyway, belief in England is a cogent and cohesive belief, said a judge today, but a man was sacked for standing as a political candidate for the English Democrats, Dana. Tell us more. Yes, a far-right politician who was sacked after bosses discovered his offensive views when he ran for parliament has had his discrimination claim thrown out. So this is a man who identifies as an indigenous Englishman, and it's all about English self-determination. And I think a lot of the reason why he was fired was because he failed to state what his views are. And... <clears throat> There's probably a reason for that. Even the KKK puts a hood on. What was his job? He was worked for the uh, uh, housing, one of those uh, housing... Um... Oh, so he worked for a public sector, like housing... Housing, housing group, association. Housing association. Well, at least he knows whatever he does next is going to be a better job. But, uh, yeah, this seems, this seems unfair to call him far right when, uh, when really, uh, I mean, I don't agree with him. He claims that, you know, the English are, have been suppressed by the British since 1825. <laughs> that was us. That was the Scots that did that. Uh, and uh, unless he thinks, you know, Wales have been doing it. Um, and he's, he's called for the death penalty for those committed of treason, which I thought, I thought treason already was, you know, something that was Hasn't the last been thing. been an English king of England, Leo, since 1065. Oh, and you won't shut up about it. Oh, tell me about the World Cup. And also, yeah, I mean, like, uh, wanting to defend indigenous uh, English people, I can understand that. I mean, if the Cockneys were an Amazonian tribe, you know, UNESCO and all these people would be up in arms trying to protect their culture. I think 
think he's shipping out to Essex. I think if this establishes that he has a bias and he's working for a housing uh, housing board, this could actually lead to discrimination. Many people get done, done Every, for it. Donald Trump did dealt as well. with the housing. They're the, they're the most politically biased people in the thing. The problem with him is he had the wrong politics. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I taught my uh, kids to read with the Biff chip and kipper books which i thought were as innocent as it comes but apparently not this is from the telegraph leo yeah so the biff i'd never heard of them the biff chip and kipper books the the, sweet little learn to read like books. tintin type books no 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 no, no much like the uh, cartoony type books yeah it's like there's a picture of biff and kipper and it's like biff goes to is walking down the street and you sort of put your finger under biff is walking down the street and you right. tell him the story and point to it and well biff walks down the street and straight into a kkk recruitment branch according to the telegraph so a popular children's children's book uh, from the series has been withdrawn following complaints that its portrayal of muslim people was racist so it showed uh, these these kids um, in which the young characters are transported to a foreign country with the help of a magic key. Uh, and uh, they find themselves in a busy street market, uh, which appears to be somewhere in the Middle East with you know, men with the turbans and well, women is dressed in a niqab. And uh, Biff says, let's stay together. The people don't seem very friendly. And another character, Wilf, says, I don't like this place. It's scary. I mean, it's, yeah, it's uh, horrific. I mean, can you imagine it being uh, being written Presumably about the, the West? That they're scared because they're in an alien environment. Can you imagine it being written about the West in a in a book in a madrasa in uh, Saudi Arabia? Oh my God! I'm sure the imams would be in uproar getting that book pulped. Uh, <laughs> Well, right. I think everybody gets A's when they mark their own report, report, report cards, sorry, but there's been a lot of casual racism in children's books. Enid Blyton and the Three Gollywogs, I'm sure you'll remember. And if you can want to talk about anti-Middle um, Eastern sentiment, I don't know if you recall the movie Aladdin. They actually had to change the lyrics of that song because one of the original lines was, and they'll cut off your ear if they don't like your face. My boyfriend's Middle Eastern, and I've had people say, oh, he looks like a baddie in a film. Representation is important, and it's really important when we're talking about children because this does shape how they see people in I the future. I was shocked to find out Aladdin's not a documentary about uh, Middle Eastern life. Good one. The Times, uh, Dana, and uh, Disney is standing up to Saudi Arabian censorship. Yeah, so Disney refuses the Saudi order to cut two mums reference from Doctor Strange film. Saudi Arabia has banned Disney's latest superhero film after the film company refused to remove LGBTQAI plus references. Oh, they've done they've done the full. Oh no, you added that in. I added it. Right. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's refreshing to see uh, a company that makes money. Uh, actually standing up for something that it, it pretends to care about on uh, Gay Pride Day or whatever it's called. Um, I mean, the World Cup certainly aren't doing it for, for Qatar. So, yeah. Well, I think, uh, M, M, what is Mohammed Bill Salman, he has the 2030 plan. I don't know if you're familiar, but he wants to turn Saudi Arabia into the new Europe and <laughs> gay people live in Europe, so you better buckle up. Right, uh, the male next and the family terrorised by golf balls after buying a house next to a golf course. Don't laugh, Dominic. These people are terrorised, literally terrorised. So a family living near a golf club or a country club in Massachusetts have won nearly $5 million in damages after being terrorised with golf balls that obliterated the side of their house, shattered nearly all of their windows and forced neighbourhood children to wear helmets while playing outside. So uh, in 2017, uh, they, they purchased what they thought was their, their dream house uh, on a golf course.
basically. And then they were shocked to find out that golf balls hit their house. I don't know, how can you award these people any money? How did they get the money together to buy the house when they don't realise that if you buy a house on a golf course, you're going to get hit with, with golf balls? Yeah, but they, uh, they apparently it was, it was badly placed, the house. Yeah, it was on a golf course. No, but it was right in the... If you hit your drive badly, it went straight into their, their And there car. were other houses on that course that didn't have a big problem. Yeah. Put up a big thing. Put up a big thing they to stop put the up, balls. They wouldn't put up a big thing. Put up a big thing. They didn't put up... They've they got to this to the this golf course and said, will you put up a big thing? And the golf guy ignored their email. This reminds me when I worked uh, with the police doing uh, analytics and stuff, and there was all these, like, residents. They would, like, this is in Westminster, and residents would complain, like, you know, oh, there's... There's a, I moved in here and there's a nightclub. There's a nightclub making all this noise. It's like, yeah, you moved into Soho. What on earth? There's a nightclub there. You knew that before you moved in. In this case, it's a golf course. Well, I, what I don't understand, Dana, but perhaps you can shed some light on it, is they won f $5 million, $4.9 million in damages and the house is only worth 750 grand. Well, I guess they busted out how many windows. I think they had to replace, what was it, 50, 36? Still, I can't remember how many windows it was. Dollars worth of windows. Fair, but no, fair enough. But I think it was more the stress that they were um, suing for and the, the potential damage it could have done to their children. I think she was talking about putting her baby in a baby thing or whatever, and the golf ball went right at her feet, which, you yeah. know, could be potentially um, lethal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Don't buy a house next to a golf course unless it's Wentworth, in which case you're very rich and well done for making so much money. Right, the mirror now and the Brazilian man with nine wives and the plan he devised so that none felt left out, Dana. Yes, Arturo Urso from Brazil has shared how he juggles nine wives and has lifted the lid on how he has even been forced to create a sex router so none of them feel like they're missing out. I think this man is lying... <clears throat> To himself, any woman who marries a man with eight wives has no intention on having sex with him. Let's be honest about that. How <laughs> do you know that? <laughs> Come on now, why would you? Why would you? What would you expect in that marriage? I think, I th you know what? I think it's a Maybe she thinks plan. she's the one who can win him. Maybe she's the one, who knows? It's funny, everybody likes polygamy, but I wonder what they'd say if a woman had nine husbands. Well, that would be celebrated in The Guardian. They'd be like, oh my God, she's so empowered. Oh, she's turning heteronormative patriarchal norms on their head. But if a man does it, oh my God, he's a monster. No, I think, I think the criticism- Did anybody criticism, call him a monster? I think the criticism of this man is uh, it's, it's racist because he's from Brazil. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's cultural bad, badness. So, yeah, but what I, what I liked was uh, he says there's only jealousy when he gets one of them a gift. He gets one of them an expensive gift and another a cheaper or smaller one, and there's jealousy among them. Yeah. It's great. You get, you get that one with of them, um, One of the herbals. eight is uh, <laughs> seek to divorce. Anyway, um, profound insights there on that one from Leo. Right, here's another one. It's in The Guardian. Where else? Fictosexuals. Yeah, so this is a new type of sexuality invented by uh, left-wing people so they can add more... Letters to the acronym. I've got an F on the end now. A fictosexual is someone who is in, who loves uh, fictional characters, like but falls in love with fictional characters. I mean, I thought uh, that that like your fic wife. Ficto. No, I'm, I'm a real person. I'm right here. I was Sorry, sometimes you're a bit of a pantomime. I was joking about no? the uh, the hologram, um, but yeah, fictosexual. And also keep my wife's name out of your goddamn mouth. Oh. Um, a fictosexual. Uh, I, I thought this would be a fictoromantic. 
Because they say it's somebody who's fallen in love, whereas fictosexual is somebody who has, has sex. This is what the left don't get about. This is even Stonewall. They're trying to say that homosexuality is when you're attracted to somebody of the same gender. And it's not. It's somebody of the same sex. It's not homogenderality. OK, Dana, let's finish off and uh, very quickly tell us about the Canadian wellness guru on the Balinese volcano. Yes, he decided to do a hacker dance naked on a sacred Bali volcano. And some of the locals found that very disrespectful. And now they are looking to extradite him from the country. And, you know, this is not the first time something like this has happened. I remember being in Myanmar and there, they had a big, big DJ party or whatever and they had Buddha on there. And one guy just put headphones on the Buddha in the poster image, and he went to jail for about three years. He was from uh, New Zealand. Okay. Uh, what I liked about this story is that he's currently awaiting deportation, but authorities say airlines are reluctant to help because he's not vaccinated against <laughs> COVID-19. Um, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much to my guests, Leo Kurse and Dana Alexander. Thank you to you on the other side of the screen for watching. Headliners will be back at the same time tomorrow and I'll be hosting, which gives you twice as much reason to tune in. All that remains to be done is for me to pick up my papers in the way that television presenters do and then look down at them and pretend I'm reading something very important. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. <laughs>